My name is Malebo and I am coming to you from South Africa and today I will be moderating the session for today's digital dialogue. I am a black woman, I am wearing a black top and I have curly brown hair and I am wearing a purple lipstick. Today we are putting the spotlight on hacking for good. Hacking, the accessing of computer systems without permission. Hence it is illegal in most jurisdictions. The situation across borders is more complicated. Last year, the UN published a report on the topic of advancing responsible state behavior in cyberspace, trying to establish rules for the peaceful settlement and prevention of conflict in cyberspace. The document is seen as a first step to committing states not to engage in hacking each other during peace times. Recently, and in the aftermath of the war of aggression waged by the Russian Federation against neighboring Ukraine, the belligerent parties are not only engaging in mutual cyber aggression, but appealing to others to join. As a result, non-state actors are getting involved, such as Anonymous and others. While a war might be seen as an exceptional situation, the question nevertheless merits an answer. Also from a civil society perspective, is there such a thing as ethical hacking? Where does it occur? What does it entail? And how could it be justified? I'm personally interested in this conversation. I have an academic background and I know that within the academic space, particularly on the African continent, you know, the issue of cybersecurity has really picked up. And I'm so grateful to be here to moderate this session and joining us today with the session. I am delighted. We are delighted to welcome Alex Strimbenu, who is the creative director of JA. MDL, and Dr. Bright Jameli Maudo, who is the Chief Technology Officer of Zatova, and Marek Tutsitsky, who's the co-founder Tactical Tech. So now how this will work is that each panelist will be giving their input for five minutes, and then we'll have some discussions and questions. We're going to start with Alex. Alex, I'm going to hand it over to you. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Alex Trimbanu. I'm connecting with you from uh, Abba Slovakia. I'm uh, wearing a blue shirt. I have short brown hair and I'm wearing glasses. One of the reasons that I'm here is because uh, somehow I got myself involved in the war, but on the communication side regarding the war in Ukraine or the invasion of Ukraine. It's a very hot topic and everybody's emotionally somehow involved in it, especially the neighboring countries. I come from advertising, so I'm a communication specialist. After, after the first week or after the first two weeks, after we donated, we hired some people from Ukraine. We did the humanitarian stuff that was, let's say, very fast to do. We thought, okay, can we help? Can we get involved in some any other way? And then the news started to come with the blocking of Facebook in Russia, blocking Twitter, Instagram. Some uh, news organizations' websites were blocked. So in, at that point, we realized, okay, this is not only a physical war, this is a communication war. Our approach was, it just came by scrolling, browsing our heads, how can we, how can we get involved? And somehow we, uh, we uh, realized and we saw news that the only outside channel, let's say, in Russia is Tinder. So we started to think, okay, can we use Tinder? Can, can we repurpose Tinder for this topic? And after we made our profiles, we discovered that we can 
like anyone can use the passport feature in, in Tinder and connect with Russian people, which were basically lied by Putin and his propaganda. Like one of the things that uh, Putin started with the war was not calling it a war, but just a special a military operation. So by using Tinder and the passport feature, you can actually connect with everyday Russian, Russians and tell them, show them what is actually happening in Ukraine. And uh, the videos, the, the pictures that are coming out of Ukraine are and were horrendous at that time. So we repurposed a platform. We got some news worldwide. We talked, to, I personally talked with Russian people and it's interesting to see the a different perspective, which is not on the news, is not covered by definitely is not covered by Russian state media. This is how I was involved in this. Thank you. And I pass the word forward. Thank you so much, Alex. I think Dr. Bright, can you give us your words? So hi, uh, my name is Bright. <laughs> I don't know what color I'm wearing right now. It's, it's bluish in a way to say. So yeah, my name is Bright. I'm the CTO or Chief Technology Officer at a company called Zatova. I am writer based in Nairobi, Kenya, but originally I'm from Ghana, but I've been in Kenya and South Korea for the past 20 years. So I'm part of everything. The hacking community has grown in the, in the, Ken in the Kenyan space in Africa as a whole, but in Kenya, we have seen a lot of changes that has been going on changes the sense that there's a lot more investigations that when it comes to cyber fraud, a lot of social engineering, where innocent people are actually giving out the details when they're not supposed to, pin numbers. And you know, if you know something about Kenya, Kenya has mobile money being one of the core bases of everything they do. So we have mobile money to be it's a cashless country. We don't, we don't have physical cash for anything. Everything is using the phone. A feature phone or a smartphone can be used to be able to actually pay for anything and do all processing. So a lot of people keep money in that. It's just like a bank. So a lot of hacking that we've been seeing is, is based on such basis. A lot of integrations into the mobile money platform, like what you call M-Pesa, that people are trying to use that to as payment gateways. A lot of betting companies, a lot of lending companies that I hear, but hackers are trying to abuse API security, are trying to abuse the basics of mis- configurations that most of the systems have and they're going so there's also the other side where i run something called africa hackathon where we train young cybersecurity engineers to be able to stop these hackers from actually doing it so all these young ones are growing up to become cyber experts and they're able to actually apply the skills in stopping some of these hackers or do a bad bounty for organizations and be able to stop that from happening so yes we have a lot of ethical hackers right now in in the kenyan space in the african space we host a lot of hacking parties, a lot of capture the flag challenges, uh, hosting events or, or, or conferences that we get to break down the complex cybersecurity terminologies and details into layman for anybody to understand and how do they build strategy into their organizations and their personal lives. So that is that's it. And I'm here for the very good conversations for Hacking for Good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Bright Jameli. Marek, can we have your opening statements? Hi everyone, good afternoon from, from Berlin. A white Eastern European male sitting in Berlin that is pretending to be early spring, however it's supposed to be summer. And I'm wearing glasses, wearing a sweater, and I'm against a map from 17th century that was trying to figure out what the world is all about in terms of cartography. Um, I'm here because I'm co-founder and the creative director of Tactical Tech, which is an international organization that's been for the last 20 years. We founded in 2003. Uh, working with hacktivists, activists, hackers, 
researchers, journalists on the impact of technology on society and information as a kind of an asset that is important for our engagement, political, social, cultural, and so on. We also use a lot of creative formats. Our background is also in the in the arts. And arts as such is often using different ways of telling stories that are based of cracking existing systems and trying to get out of them more than they offer initially. So I'm here also in a way, I think, to bring a little bit of a historical context. 20 years is not long in general, but in the context of technology, it's quite a long time. A lot of things happened in the last 20 years. When we started, there were no, there was no YouTube. <laughs> if you can imagine that, forget other things like TikTok, but there was no iPhone and Google was kind of a joke at the time. I want to start my input from kind of starting from a little bit defining of what hacking in general is, because we hear a lot of different kinds of definitions and they come from different frameworks, different ideas, worldviews, and there's a different history to them. For me, the, the division is more or less as such that there's a hacking related to worldview that is closely attached to what hacking was when it came from with different kinds of freedom, freedom of information, employed technical systems to learn from them and to share that knowledge. And also it involves a lot of fun that was part of the early hacking ethics. That became more complicated and, and convoluted as activism became. I think depending on context, an activist is a politically engaged person in another context is a very problematic, almost criminal activity. In other places, activism basically is equal to terrorist activity, depending who is defining the context, the laws that are governing given place and what is possible and so on. Over time, I'm picking up on hacking and it's not necessarily because of the, I would say, view aspect or philosophy behind it, if you like, but it's more about skills. It's about being ahead of others and having a better understanding, in a way, having a privilege and that is very unique, having the time, having the resources to be able to learn such complex systems and utilize that for different purposes. And this kind of uh, hacking can be related to different values and sets of them, different religious backgrounds, different social, cultural, political views, and so on, etc. And the skill can be used for any of them in any context. And of course, you can be a hacker as a, as a service, as a, as a kind of a, a job that you do either permanently, full-time, or on a site where the skills are of high value to different kinds of entities and they different in which context you operate. Even though you know the entire spectrum of the work, you've been tasked with a specific things to do. And hacking is not only about hacking into computer systems, and it's not only about computer security and cybersecurity, because that kind of sounds like it's, it's there in this complex technical world. Actually, hacking is about the safety, it's about politics, it's about privacy, uh, it's about well-being. And it's about also accountability and responsibility when you're deciding to engage in this activity, it comes with the consequences. And I think what's important to talk about are these consequences and there's a waterfall of them. I'm looking forward to the entire conversation and that will follow our interest. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marek. And I think you started us off on a right note because when we talk about hacking for good, ethical hacking, hacktivism, you know, a lot of the meaning can be lost. And I'm, I'm really interested, Dr. Bright, and I think Marek really just went into just few thoughts, you know, in terms of hacking. So I have a little story to tell. When I was telling a colleague of mine that I will be doing this session, we, we, we like deliberated around the issues of hacking and um, 
we were sitting in a group and then they shared a meme with us. And it turns out that there were two men who were arrested in the US for hacking into a gas pump, into a petrol pump, and then yeah. selling the gas at cheap, at a discounted rates. Cause we know at the moment that petrol and gas, I know in South Africa, the, you know, the prices are going up. And then somebody was like, ethical hacking, that's an example of ethical hacking. And another was like, no, that's not ethical hacking. That is hacktivism. And so I think sometimes when we talk about these, these meanings, you know, can, can get lost. So maybe Bright, can you just help us? Hacking for good, hacktivism, what is that? So we know there are different types of hackers. There's, yeah. there's a white hat hacker who likes to protect everything that is then the system or on their side, for, which is most an ethical hacker. There's the black hat hacker who just wants to destroy anything that they can find, which falls under hacktivism a lot. And then there's a gray hat hacker who is in between the two. Sometimes can be black, sometimes can be white. Sometimes now we have what they call red hat hackers who are hired by government agencies to be able to actually see vulnerabilities in systems that will stop black hat hackers to be, to be successful. So hacktivism has different reasons as to why it happened. There's some people who actually do military state hacking where black hat hackers are being hired by the state to be able to actually do some sort of like, a, like an espionage, basically. Okay. So hacking into the country and the likes. There are others who do what you call FIG, fun ideology and grudge. The fun ideology and grudge kind of hackers who are people who just want to do either for fun, they want to deface websites to show you that they can actually do it. It's a sense of power to show. Yeah, there's an ideology behind it that some of them do that for, and some of them is just because it's grudge. And a hacking doesn't have to be technical per se. It could be going to cut the power line, cut the internet cable somewhere. It's, it's what you're talking about, somebody going there technically to go, can't have hacking fuel and the likes. So it can come as both being a physical kind of hack or a technical part of it. And we are seeing that happening these days where if you look at elections, elections happen everywhere. Hacking is always happening one way or the other where people are trying to break into electoral systems changing the votes out before they even get to the central point for tally. So those are the kind of hackers that we're seeing. So the hacktivism that is there, sometimes people do it for a reason to actually protect or to show that they can do it. There's somebody I came across the other day who hacked a particular system in Kenya who are people who are stealing from others. So yeah. this company apparently has been stealing from a normal everyday user where they subscribe them to loans and if they don't pay them back, so it's a whole scam they've been doing. So these guys hacked them to be able to make sure they can get the, they can recover the cash back. They recover the money and send it to the central bank and say, hey, you know what? We've actually been able to actually um, hack these people and the justification, their documents that shows that they are a scam. That's some sort of a hacktivism that is there, but hacking for good is a gray area when it comes to such a situation. So I see it differs from situation or case to case to actually define what it is. So ethical hacking, it only can be ethical in the case of hacktivism when it actually does not go against the law. But if the law says that you're accessing the system illegally, then you are actually breaking the law. That's not ethical hacking anymore. That is you breaking the protocols of what the state has actually put together. And almost every country right now has a computer and in information security act, data protection acts are there. And we have to make sure we conform to those standards to be able to, to make sure that we're not doing anything unethically.
Yeah, I'd like to invite Marek and Alex to join us and to switch on their videos. And you can keep your video on bright just for us to engage in a conversation. And I want to in invite the audience today as well to ask your questions. And I will also pose your questions to the participants. I don't want to hog the stage now. Um, I mean, earlier on, I, I, you know, I alluded to this question from a civil society perspective, is there such a thing as ethical hacking? I'm interested in the special love operations, Alex, and I, I know that you briefly just touched on it. Um, and, you know, this idea of using Tinder, right, to spearhead a message. What's the uptake? Like how many have joined and in terms of accounts being reported? How's that going? And, you know, what are you seeing with the response with that? Well, after, let's say, we got involved around 30, we know about 30 people at least that opened accounts, send us, hey, look, this is my profile, I'm uh, into it. And then after two weeks, I think Tinder started to, to warn people that it's not in accordance with their platform. Basically, so um, we started to hack the, not hack because we didn't break any system, but we just recommended the, the people who are on Tinder and are in the campaign to switch off and on. So they don't stay longer than 24 hours, basically. Mm -hmm. So with that, you are safe. You can keep your Tinder account. But unfortunately, we had some people being blocked okay. from Tinder. Okay. Yeah. I think the most interesting was the experience of talking with Russian people. Like okay. it's not a large scale operation, but I think it gives you an insight to, to connect with somebody who is disconnected basically yeah. from the world. Okay. From what Alex is saying, and maybe Marek, you can come in here. I often think about ethics, right? And a question came up in terms of how do we draw the line between ethical and unethical digital activity and who gets to decide and with tactical tech and engaging civil society around the implications of technology, you know, when it comes to society. So where do we draw that ethical line in terms of uh, digital activity and who gets to decide? Is it the lawmakers or because, you know, especially like coming from an African perspective, we have many who have low digital literacy. So in your organization, how have you experienced that in terms of the ethics? I think maybe one clarification would be important to make as well, because one may think that ethics is purely a legal problem, that you know, if something is written in a book, either you're breaking it or not, and if you're breaking it, it's illegal, and so forth, unethical, and if you, if you do the opposite, you are good. And there are plenty of laws that are not great, not good. There are some illegal rules and laws in different places that actually are oppressing people of a different kind for different reasons and so on, etc. So I would like to disassociate the idea of ethics and morality and decisions about what's right, what's wrong from legal system only. I think it's very important and we have these books written for specific reasons and we have to refer to them. But this entire apparatus that is able to do that and we see a lot of hackers who were you know, caught in, in the act of hacking either industrial or a computer and they're prosecuted and, and, and charged and they're serving you know, prison sentences and so on. Uh, but I would separate that from what we're really talking about because it's much more complex. First of all, I think we, we're living in the, in the environment that is dominated by technology and this technology is already in a way created by people that hacking the system. They operate in kind of 
non-existent law framework. So a lot of things that they were doing or doing right now, like big companies, big tech, and other actors, uh, they're defining the rules because there's no law and also the apparatus, the legal apparatus, unable to address what they do and so on, etc. And I think we as a civil society are given that, that world. Facebook address is hacker way number one. It's for a reason. This is what, you know, they were believing what they were creating. They were creating a new way of living, uh, new values and, you know, protecting certain values against and so on, etc. That doesn't matter. For us, from, from the uh, civil society organization, it's very important to, first of all, give people we work the right to have their own agency in, in the in kind of self-determination and make those decisions that are either ethical or not ethical. Because by the end of the day, the process of hacking, the act of hacking, is a methodology and it can be used for anything. The same thing used for good can be used for bad or stupid. And I think it is important to know that any act of hacking, if it is for good, etc., it is justifying certain methodologies, certain tactics and techniques and so on, etc., but also creates some collateral. It always has some impact on the non-digital outside the computer world, and that has to be accounted for. So one thing done for good by other entity in that the context may, may actually cause a lot of problems but also things done for good in the long run because then the residue of has, what has been hacked exposed published distributed shared etc in a given moment may be a good thing to do but the, the same data set for example about vulnerable people or you, you name it assets etc and may cause uh, gigantic problems later and it doesn't mean that there's no such a thing like hacking for good or good hacking. And it doesn't mean that hacking is wrong. Um, this is not what I'm saying. I actually encourage people to think about hacking as a creative process, but it comes with the moral and other types of responsibilities. And we have to think about them when we engage. Yeah, I think before I go to Bright, I want to come back to Alex and I want to pose the same question in terms of how do we draw the line between ethical and unethical digital activity? I, I think uh, I'm going to give a very novice, I will make a separation because I think I would split it from my point of view in two, in two things. You have this hacking as a kill that you can use, mm -hmm. but either good or wrong. But I will go back a little bit and I will say that uh, there, is a, there should be a philosophical aspect to this. Because yeah. besides the skill, I think you cannot necessarily define it because in itself, hacking is a reaction or breaking something right so you cannot make laws or or maybe you can make laws but i think a code of conduct and why i love this love why i like this term hacking for good is because it gives you a direction okay we can debate what is good we can debate what uh, effects it can have maybe you try to do good but it ends up in a different way but the simple action of wondering is this good or bad it matters a lot like it's a simple thing and if we are open for dialogues and discuss it even with yourself, like to pose yourself these questions, what, what am I doing? Is it good? Is it bad? How does it affect? What are the consequences short, medium term? So only I think it's good to define or at least to label somehow because this gives you a direction. You can acquire hacking as a skill and then you can do whatever you want, but that whatever I want needs to be defined. I want to break system and make money. I want to be an ethical hacker and make a job out of it. Or I want to be an activist and get socially involved. Dr. Bright, I'd like to bring you in here when, you know, Alex talks about the skills. And I'm, I'm thinking about from an African perspective. And as I said, I'm more from an academic 
background in you know thinking about research and uh, cybersecurity, and it's something that it's it's like a you know a topic that a lot of researchers are starting to battle with or to grapple with. Can you speak? a little bit on the changing landscape of the cybersecurity space in Africa from an African perspective, but also what is the future of hackers and defenders, you know, from the African perspective? I started hacking when I was, when I was seven years old, creating my first computer virus when I was 10. Second one was at 14, and that has become a life. It became a lifestyle. I wasn't even sure if that was hacking at the time before it became a thing. But a lot of things, I got on the wrong side of the law before, and I was arrested for, for about half a day, questioning me if I was part of an act, activism that was going on against, against Google. And I had to face, I have to answer questions. And that was tough for me. I had to really re-question myself as to what to try to do. And, and by then I was what they call a script kitty. A script kitty is somebody who is trying to learn hacking or the likes, doesn't know what they're doing, but just taking instructions from people who are more experienced to do things they're not supposed to do. And I was a script kitty at the time. I understood that I was just taking instructions in a in a chat room, say ping this IP address, type this command to this IP address. I didn't know I was actually attacking Google at the time. And it was a very it was the time when Anonymous was still a group, not a movement as it is right now where everybody can say they are, they are anonymous. What you see in an African perspective is that there's always going to be two sides of the coin. There's going to be bad hackers and they're going to be good hackers. And what you're trying to do is, or what you're trying to see is how can we breed the good hackers to become defenders in organizations or be able to respond to such, such threats that come all the time. If you look at the statistics that we have in almost every country, the hacking that is going on is of another level. And they see of those either as a state sponsored or as an FIG that I, as I explained earlier. We have seen and we've come from far. And what I'm trying to see right now, which is trying to bridge the gap between the two is that the law is actually catching up with people. People are actually getting, being prosecuted for hacking. People are being prosecuted. If you look at Rwanda, for example, a few people were, were, were prosecuted for actually breaking into the a bank system, and they were able to actually be prosecuted and locked up. We want to see more of that in the from African, African continent, continental perspective. So a lot of awareness is needed. Awareness for law enforcement, awareness for magistrates, for, for intelligence agencies. We are seeing a lot of that happening right now. And in Kenya, we're a part of, they just launched the forensic lab, we fully fledged, and we can see so many people who I have mentored or trained in the past are now even getting employed into such places. That has to be seen. That is something that we want to see happen. Just yesterday, I was part of the Commonwealth Fellows for Af African Cybersecurity Conference. And we're looking at all the various ways of being able to justify what is ethical hacking and how can we make sure that a lot of people are getting into cybersecurity, cyber resilience, and from an African perspective, both from a law point of view to the point of, does a government even get to understand? Right now, every government is struggling to understand what cybersecurity really is. They're signing papers, but they're not exactly sure how to regulate both sides. But you know what? We're always going to have the bad hackers who are from the various universities, a group of people who have been formed to be able to make sure that they can actually make other people's lives harder because systems are not there to prosecute them or not too many people are experienced to be able to track them down. So that's the thing. They will play catch up and it's 50-50 from an African perspective from what I've been seeing and experiencing from my, from my, my professionalism.
Thanks. I'm going to keep you there, Bright. You know, I move between Dr. Bright and Bright. Please forgive me. What do you prefer? Do you prefer me to use the title? Or just nah, Bright if any fine? of them is actually good. <laughs> okay, yeah. great. So I'll just use them as they come. So I'm going to go into the questions and then I'll come back also with some questions of my own. So there's a question. Is it ethical if I am tracked on the internet and my data is sold? It is maybe legal, but is it ethical? So, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting that the questions that are coming in, you know, are really around the issues of ethics because it, it's, some, it's, it's something that we're battling with, right? So did you yeah. get the question? So can you speak to that question? It is very legal for somebody to actually use your information to, to actually do something out there or bad. Impersonation that is happening or misinformation that is going on right now. Getting the information is not hard. That's not the difficult part. I can basically just take a particular picture of somebody, do what they call a reverse image search and be able to find out what their full names are. Full, name, full names, get to social media, I pick a social media handle and find out which other social media pages that can I find this person that exists. Collect all the information about their pages that is out there. It's easy. If we have to have time, I can show you this right now. It's that easy. It is so easy to impersonate somebody's email. I can send an email from you, Malevo, to another person in this room right now. It will come with your picture. It's getting easy. The tools to do this are open source. They are available. Anybody can download them. We need to now start making sure that we can have a lot more awareness to know how to protect our data, not sharing too much information of ourselves out there. Only share what exactly you want people to see about you. If somebody uses that information against you, like for example, you see bloggers right now pick your information and write something about you. Somebody did that to me, wrote something about me that O'Bright oh, is ABC. Then I said, no, you cannot share that information about me because you do not ask my permission. I took it to the court of law and I won. I had to actually get the person prosecuted because this person is using information to write something about me, which is not right. So. Everything right now, what's from WhatsApp messages to Twitter is admissible in a court of law in so many places. We need to now make sure that we can get a lot more awareness out there, that the judge does not see this information and says, what is this WhatsApp message? How can we tell this information is actually real? How can we make sure that this is authentic information that is coming to the courts and we can actually use digital forensics to ascertain that this is not a false information that is coming for us to be able to prosecute somebody because it's easy to fake a lot of things. You're facing deep fakes right now. You're facing uh, ways to be able to use Photoshop better. We need to be able to know what to share online and what not to share online. But yeah, misinformation, cyberbullying, and being able to use the information that we have online is becoming a very difficult task for us to, to deal with. Law enforcement needs to catch up as well as soon as possible. So there's another question. Um, I'll pose this to Alex from the audience. It's uh, it seems there's a growing movement around ethical hacking, hacktivism, and I would like to know whether there is any advocacy work pushing for regulation that allow for or make exceptions to hacking for good. If there are currently laws out there for this, yeah, is that a question? Yeah, well, like I, I'm, if, yeah. I'm, not, uh, I'm not aware of any, any law regarding that. As you uh, basically quote this UN Code of conduct, code of conduct between states. I think it's very hard to to create laws around hacking by its nature. But I loved what the Dr. Bright mentioned. I, I hope so. I don't have a more uh, answer to this question, but I, I I want to just observe this because it's a learning also for me. I think we need awareness most of all 
we need literacy about hacking. Like that should be the first thing. And people who can spread this, I think they are definitely doing a type of hacking for good, just spreading awareness and literacy about hacking. Thank you so much. So I'm going to attempt to read. There's a question in the audience and it's a little bit long and I also don't know how to make it brief. So I'll try and speed read through it and maybe Merrick, you can try and attempt it. It says, from what I'm hearing here, fugitivity seems to characterize hacking. The point being made is logical then that the limitations of legal and formal frameworks become difficult to apply but also notions of what is good or bad become less clear for whom. Paul Jenkins once wrote about the many formal systems just being a product of the elite consensus. So in this context, it may be difficult to define ethics universally or narrowly. Do the speakers think there is room for contextual and even time-based common or shared frameworks for what ethical parameters should apply? Perhaps it is the code of conduct Alex mentions but that is may not be a code that is universally accepted is key. Yes, this is an excellent question. As previous two questions, I would like to ask address them, I think. It's excellent because it is extremely important, it's vital that we debate, discuss, and create frameworks in, in which we do things together, you know, as society, etc. And hacking is part of how we do things, how we go about things, and so on, etc. And this process has to be inclusive. So I would not like it to be left to certain entities, institutions, and you know, governmental bodies because we're not operating in a universally friendly environment. We have authoritarian situations, we have you know totalitarian situations, we have uh, democracies that are falling apart, and so on, etc. So it is not possible to have you know United Nations is a great concept. Uh, implementation is harder, and I think especially in the uh, two things are i think important there's technology is here to stay hacking is part of what technology brings in that is empowering us and enabling us you know to to have different aspirations and different hopes about what we can achieve as society and we have to you know fight for defining it that is just that is emphasizing equality that this is participatory and i think the other questions also kind of in a way are about the same problem here mm. which is whose responsibility that is is that you know again the legal system the state the institutions the un whoever and so on etc and i think it's a responsibility of all of us not only those who can participate because they can because they speak the language they have the tools and and education and so on etc but also we define this uh, space how we use it what we allow to happen and so on the first question i think was very important because we have growing business out there um, that is justifying their actions by pure fact that if somebody can't protect themselves or they don't know how the system works it is okay to use the data the information the digital assets against them and it's their problem because they should have learned uh, how this world works and i think Ethically, that, does, that is not okay and would never justify that. However, on the other hand, you know, it's important that some of activists or hacktivists and other groups are able to do that to either expose the privilege, expose the wrongdoers, or expose a problem that may not have a clearly defined actors, but is impossible to address. And you can, you can talk about larger problems, environmental, climate change, and so on, etc., where hacking is also very important because we may need certain access to certain information to be able to form opinions on the basis of, the, of these opinions you can then act you can you can decide what is necessary to do and how to do that and so on etc so that would be my shortest answer to a very complex very good question thank you for that thank you so much Merrick. i have a question for bright do we know how well equipped african states are 
in protecting themselves against black hat hackers. How many instances of black hat hacking have we experienced on African government systems? And I'm also particularly interested in during the COVID, like what were the cybersecurity challenges during COVID-19? But yeah, you can go ahead and answer that question or speak to it, right? I will say I don't think we are well equipped right now when it comes to cybersecurity. COVID-19 came about at a time where digital transformation was still a concept in a lot of people's heads, a lot of concept in people's, I mean, the national strategy for a lot of countries was still not a thing that they thought would ever come to happen. Now, COVID came and then they realized that, oh, there's a definition of something called a VPN. Trust me, most government people don't even know what a VPN was until COVID started, that they had to work from home. They have to get to work from other places. And if you look at it right now, some countries I know are putting together cyber warriors for the country. I know Kenya has one where they have the National Cyber Command Center. I've seen strategies being put together, what you call an NC4. That is something that has been done there. Look at it, even South Africa, where you are right now, has been targeted by so many countries recently. I know from, from China, from, from Russia, where they're hacking some of this company, uh, some of the organizations, the government. We, I saw recently also in South Africa where some of the, the compromised systems and leaked out a lot of, of information. What was done about that? Nothing much. So it's always a reactive kind of things rather than being proactive in being able to respond to cyber attacks. There has to be a way that governments need to set up a cyber force to be able to make sure they can protect when it comes to state-sponsored attacks. But right now, a lot of hacking has been going on in so many government systems that is bad. Even if I use a search engine, there's one called Shodan. Shodan is a public search engine and I look for government systems across the continent. There is way too, much, too many of them that are vulnerable. The system even tells you it's vulnerable. And guess what? It's a publicly available government system that is telling you it's vulnerable to certain ways. But the fact that a lot are not embracing people coming to tell them this is the possibility of what can happen to you because people are scared. And that's something we're discussing at the Commonwealth African uh, Summit uh, yesterday. People are scared of sharing information because not everybody is welcoming to be able to get information shared. I know so many of my mentees who have seen vulnerabilities in the system and even actually try to exploit them, but they can't share that information with the government because they're not welcoming to be able to know that they can be exploited. Uh, and, and if you look at it as well, it's because you're making somebody look bad. You're making somebody look at so. Frameworks to be put in place to allow people to voluntarily share information of possible hacking that can go on on the systems need to be put in place, not to scare people um, out there because of the kind of knowledge and skills they have. Trust me, my youngest mentee is 16 years old. He can hack comfortably as, as sometimes, sometimes as me. What do we do with such a skill set? We need to put our skills somewhere that can be beneficial to the state. So hacking of government uh, systems with black hats, yeah, it has been happening a lot. I have been seeing them in a few forums on Telegram, but there's nothing much I can do about it. Just have to watch. So maybe Alex wants to come in here for the next question. Ukraine is recruiting cyber warriors on the internet. And I mean, if you go into the chat box, you'll see there's a link there. It says, does Africans can get involved in a war elsewhere? Should civil society support that kind of volunteerism? And I'm also like also interested in the ethics of that, right? Like, is it okay? to attack another country ethically, even if that country started war, like what does it mean, you know, for pulling, you know, your country into the war itself? I don't know much about the initiative, but I think as a, 
as an overall idea, I agree with it. Now it depends on your uh, moral compass if you get involved or not. It's uh, I don't see a big difference between uh, physical war and uh, digital war. I actually think the the physical war is uh, extremely dramatic. So done to protect because they are not invading anybody. They are invaded. I think it's okay as an idea. Now it depends on anybody. It's like a call. Of, I think many outsiders went to Ukraine to actually physically fight there. So I don't see a problem if uh, to fight uh, digitally. But it's, okay. of course, then it's a personal decision and according to your moral compass, if you want to do those, those things or not, whatever they involve, I'm, I'm not aware of what actually means to be a digital warrior for Ukraine or cyber warrior. Thank you. I want to bring in Marek here. There's a question that says, why is it that hackathons have become all the rage, even by governments, but hacking is still out in the woods? This is excellent, excellent yeah. question. <laughs> Sorry, make me laugh. Of course, you know, because part of this uh, world is also trying to stay cool, appeal to certain kinds of people and uh, vocabularies, concepts and kind of nomenclature, if you like, that different entities used to, to become more attractive and so on, etc. That's kind of one thing that you see, and not only when it comes to hacking, you can use any other words uh, that used to mean something different and they kind of you know, become appropriated. Sometimes that's not even negative by other entities and so on, etc. If you actually go to them, you participate in them, they don't even resemble what the idea of a hackathon is, what the collaboration is, what the kind of, you know, decentralized way of working on problems and solving them, etc. is about. But I think like with the army here, different entities uh, looking for people with different skills, for, you know, skills that are coming also from so-called digital natives, people who know this environment way better than those who grew up before it and really still adapting and adjusting you know, in the understanding what it is. And for me, you know, army is army and it has people who work for it. They paid salaries, they have contracts and either we question army as a, as a concept or we accept it as, a, as a, a, one of the forms of law enforcement and the defensive systems in, in the concept of the state and so on, etc. And if they're recruiting some, there's nothing unethical about recruitment of people that have you know, different kinds of skills. Now, if you should do it or not from one country to another, do you understand the context? Do you understand what you're going to be doing and so on? Those are very important questions, but that has nothing to do with justifying or not if army should or not uh, employ people to do certain things within the context that they operate. I'm sure hundred percent legal and, and also in a way they would justify ethical because uh, this is the function of the army to do in this context to defend the, the nation and the state uh, from the aggression. There's plenty of things uh, that, that are happening out there that are using vocabularies of that what is considered to be associated with certain forms of freedom and participation and so on, etc. And I also don't think there's anything wrong with that, unfortunately. <laughs> and there's a question I've been dying to ask, and, and, and I'm interested in a Bright, because you were talking about uh, when you started hacking and you were talking about young people and I'm interested in the demographics and I you know in this panel it's you know all men you know sometimes they call a panel of all men a, a manual <laughs> so it's a panel of all men and I, 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 I'm interested in you know uh, your experience uh, particularly in Africa like do you find women uh, particularly black women <laughs> hackers and wh what, what does that look like and why do you think when there are sessions like this 
we always go to the fact that, oh, we couldn't find anyone. We tried looking. What's, you know, what, what is your, you know, ideas around that or opinion or just your observation? <laughs> really good, interesting question. For nine years ago, I founded Africa Hackle. And three years after that, the men were too vocal in the WhatsApp groups. So I said, no, this is, this is suppressing the ladies because they have questions, but they're asking me directly in the DM. I said, no, why don't the ladies form something else of their own? So they formed something called she hacks KE. If you look on Twitter, uh, she hacks underscore KE, you will find the kind, of, the kind of conferences and workshops they've been hosting. And they've been amazing. If you look at the kind of workshops and the kind of skills that they have right now, it's, it's just brilliant. So we do have a lot of females in cybersecurity, both technical and in the governance. Uh, if you look at the governance part of things when it comes to uh, policies and the uh, governance aspect of things, you don't find a lot of men. Technically in Kenya, I don't find a lot of men who are part of the governance part of things, but you find a lot of men in the technical. Right now, you'll find a lot of ladies who always take up the governance aspect of, of uh, work. And you'll also find that um, you'll find a lot of ladies also in the technical part of cybersecurity. So we do have a lot. And I think next time when the, the, the conversation is going on, I would love to get some few ladies who are actually doing amazing things right in Kenya, in Tanzania, in Ghana, in Nigeria, who are doing um, cybersecurity work. I recently joined something called the CyberSafe Foundation. And the CyberSafe Foundation aims at teaching ladies or young ladies in cybersecurity from ground up to a level where they can get a job. And let me tell you something. You know how many requests we get for every cohort? Bare minimum, 8,000. Mm. 8,000 ladies are forever asking if they can actually learn cybersecurity. We're taking about, about 140 to 200 and about 1,000 every cohort, which they learn cybersecurity. So check out CyberSafe Foundation. We even have a Linux party on Saturday where it's going to be about women in cybersecurity. So check out CyberSafe Foundation. She hacks KE. You will find the amount of women who are really doing amazing stuff in cybersecurity. And um, yeah, so there is, they, they are there. Yeah. <laughs> well, colleagues, you know, this, uh, we could go on and um, I think this, this was a really great start. And I think like we can, we can go into our respective communities and continue this conversation. And for those who joined late, just to remind you that we will make the video available on YouTube for you to catch up on whatever it is that you have missed. Just, uh, in, uh, just before we close, I mean, there's, there are more questions that I would have loved to ask and I would love to take from the audience just to go around the table, starting with you, Alex, just on your closing you know, thought, particularly around the conversation today, especially since one of the biggest issues is the ethic around civil society also responding, particularly when we think about your operation that you are involved in. Just your closing thoughts for today. Well, I think the just the discussion itself, it opens the door to many, many layers uh, from uh, awareness to skills, to jobs, to ethics, to morals. So uh, the fact that this is coming into the light and is approached, I think it's absolutely great. And uh, an open society is better than a closed society. That's for sure. Thank you so much. Marek, your closing thoughts? We're living in a very interesting times, and we will never be able to answer these questions that we just posed ourselves. But I think it's vital and crucial to discuss them and make sure that everybody is able to participate and voice their opinions. And, and this is how we can create a better world. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dr. Bright, over to you with your closing thoughts. I will say that, uh, I mean, the cyberspace is open. Uh, we need to embrace more hackers for good. 
We need to get more people who can be defenders rather than be on the defensive side. And we need to get people who are offensive security to change to defensive security because that's that's one of the best ways to be able to get into it. Looking forward to more conversations to, to demystify this complex topic and getting more people involved. A complex topic indeed. I mean, uh, it's given me a lot to think about and I'm really interested in engaging a lot of my students and my community with this. So yeah, uh, thank you so much to our speakers for your thoughtful contribution. As I said, you have given us a lot to think about. And uh, thank you to our international sign interpreters and captioners for, the, for their work. And finally, thank I thank our audience for joining us today and your great questions. And I'm sorry that we couldn't get through all the questions, but this is an ongoing conversation. To access our previous dialogue, all our dialogues of 2020 are now available as videos and audio on the Center's YouTube and podcast channels. Goodbye, everyone. And we hope to see you in September. Thank you so much, everybody, and goodbye.